This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, welcome on in. Fred Huebner with you here on ESPN 1000 for the next two hours. Plenty of stuff to do. The Cubs snap their six-game losing streak. The White Sox suffer a loss. They try to uh, win the series against the Mariners later on this afternoon. And the NCAA tournament, the um, field of 68, is now down to the final two. Virginia and Texas Tech, we will talk about it throughout the course of the day. We've also got Jesse Rogers joining us in about 15 minutes. Also, some talking baseball. We're going to get into a lot of other things on and off the field in the 11 o'clock hour. And before I'm out of here at 12 o'clock, we'll look at the Chicago Fire as the Fire went to Toronto. Toronto was 3-0 and on the season. Uh, great match yesterday. The Chicago Fire coming away with a point in a 2-2 draw, so we will discuss that. Then tomorrow, it'll be the Cubs' home opener. Supposed to be 70 degrees before the NCAA uh, championship game tomorrow night, which you'll hear right here on ESPN 1000. So all kinds of great stuff to talk about. 312-332-3776 is the number. And also you can get to me on Fred underscore Hubner on Twitter. That's H-U-E-B-N-E-R. Lots of things to get into. I had said on Wednesday when I was here with Chris Black, all I was hoping for yesterday were good games. The Auburn game against Virginia was interesting in the first half, not thrilling, but the second half with Matt Mooney just going off, uh, a local kid, a Wakanda kid, a kid that went to Notre Dame prep, uh, 22 points, 8 of 16 from the field, 4 of 8 from three-point range, and um, you look at it, I'm sorry, that was in the uh, Texas Tech game. Uh, the Virginia game, you saw so many things. It was close early. Then Virginia opens up a 10-point lead. You go, okay, well, this one's over. Well, you should have learned so far in uh, the college basketball tournament. These games are never over. They were up 57-47 with 5.24 to go. Then, with 17 seconds to go, Auburn's up 61-57. That's right. It was a, a nice run by Auburn, they uh, took the lead. You have Kyle Guy hitting a three with nine seconds to go. And uh, that one, you figure, that was a much-needed one. Inbound to Jerome with 15 seconds to go. Well, you got to go quick. A 14-0 run. Oh, wow. 10 seconds to go. Into the corner. Guy launching a three. Got it! A three in the right corner. Good with 6.5 seconds to go. It's a one-point game. And a foul before the inbound. Wow. Oh, foul before the inbound, highlights courtesy of Westwood one. And that's is a, one of the key things we've been talking about all, you know, since the game ended. We've been talking about what happened and we'll hear it in a second. But 
Jared Harper steps to the line with seven seconds left, makes the first free throw, misses the second free throw. Now you have the ball back in the hands of Virginia. That's always a dangerous thing with a number one seed. Virginia will inbound with Ty Jerome. Jerome to trigger on the near sideline. They're in the left-hand offensive zone. Down by two, 62 to 60. Jerome slaps the basketball, looking, peering, finds Guy in the left corner for three, and the win off the rim, no good, and the Tigers claw back the weight. Was there a foul? Was there a foul in the corner? The clock is at zeros, but Auburn fouled the shooter. Bruce Pearl is at half court. He can't believe it. Yeah, not many people could believe it, including all the uh, Auburn fans who were running out getting ready to TP their town square uh, in Auburn. But, uh, yes, the foul was called. Uh, in my opinion, the foul was correctly called. Uh, if there's, if it's a foul in the first minute of the game, it's a foul in the last seconds of the game. I understand people saying you got to let the kids win the game. Well, you know what? The kid lost the game. Uh, Samir Doughty, I'm sorry, he's going to be remembered for this for a long, long time, but he fouled Kyle Guy, who steps to the free throw line, hits not one, not two, but all three of his free throws, and that's the way the game ends. Unbelievable how he nails these throws, and he talked about it afterwards. These are um, moments that, you know, every basketball player has dreamed of, you know, hitting a game-winning shot or free throws or whatever. I kind of had the, that feeling in your stomach, like a good nervousness, like, all right, this is my chance. Um, and, you know, to be able to go to the national championship off of that for, for these guys and Coach Bennett, I mean, I, I really don't have the words. So like I was saying, when I was working with Black on Wednesday, I said I just wanted to see some good games. So in that game, it was interesting. You had a great comeback by Auburn. They had the lead. It looked like Bruce Pearl was going to get to his first championship game. Then all of a sudden, the foul called. Uh, people were going crazy. It's funny, too, and Adam Abdallah mentioned it. And Abdallah and Black doing a great job in Minneapolis at the Final Four. They were at the game last night. But I didn't hear anybody mention the uh, double dribble that happened a little bit earlier on, which would have given the ball back to Auburn with the lead. I didn't hear many people talk about it until after the game was over with, which is kind of a bizarre situation. Now, it truly was, in fact, a a double dribble. There's no doubt about it. It was a double dribble on uh, Virginia. It was not called. Uh, But nobody talked about that. And you know what? It would have been completely not talked about if it wasn't for the foul at the end of the game. A lot of people went to Twitter immediately after that talking about it. And in my opinion, again, if it's a foul early, it's a foul late. You want the referees to make the call. You want referees to be consistent. If you don't make that call, then you're eating the whistle and you can't do that. That should not have been done. So... I thought the mistake was on Samir Doughty by making the foul. He definitely fouled Kyle Guy. Think about it. Kyle Guy hits a three from the right corner to make it, you know, a close game, a one point game. Then up, you know, down two, he gets fouled. Then he goes to the line and hits three free throws. He gets uh, six points in the last six seconds of the contest. Uh, pretty amazing game. Virginia moves on. Auburn does not. And Bruce Pearl said uh, his guys who battled their tail off to get back from a 10-point deficit weren't going to be worried necessarily about the foul call. Really didn't. We didn't, we didn't focus on that. We focused on how we we're going to handle the defeat. That Auburn, with class and dignity, there are lots of calls during a game. 
you've got to you've got to uh, you're going to get some you're not and, and some you're not going to get my 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 advice as an administrator of the game is if that's a foul call it call it at the beginning of the game call it in the middle of the game call it at the end of the game don't call it any more or less at any other time during the game that was the call and and uh, but it, it won't it can't define can't define don't let it define the game because then you're taking away from Ty Jerome or you're taking away from Anthony McLemore with 12 rebounds or you know Bryce Brown almost leading Auburn back to a, 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 an incredible come from behind victory I, I'd love that to be the story yeah, it would be great if it was the story, and I know Bruce Pearl is trying to make it the story, but it's going to be difficult for everybody around the country to just not think of that final call and one way or another say it should have been called, it was a foul, or the referee can't blow the whistle on a play like that in a game like this. So Auburn does not go to the championship game. Virginia does, and they get to go up against Texas Tech. Texas Tech shutting down Michigan State yesterday, 61-51 the final. Now I get to my guy, Wakanda's man, Mooney. 22 points, 8 of 16 from the field, four three-pointers. He went to Notre Dame prep. Jared Culver, who is going to be one of the high draft picks in the NBA draft, struggled. 3 of 12 from the field. He had just 10 points, but did hit a big one. Culver dribbling middle of the floor, one minute to play. Culver, three, top of the key. Got it! Cold-blooded Culver! 58-51, Texas Tech by seven and a timeout, Michigan State. Yep, so uh, Jared Culver hits the big three, one of the big threes, and he hits one late in the game. Texas Tech moves on. It'll be Texas Tech against Virginia coming up on Monday night right here on ESPN 1000. The Michigan State Spartans shoot just 32% from the field. Down the stretch, they missed the front end of three one-and-ones. They had opportunities to cut that lead at the time. They couldn't do it. They did go 14 of 18 from the free throw line for the game, but their misses were all big misses late in the contest. Cassius Winston was 16. Matt McQuaid with 12. He had to leave as he was cramping up late in the contest. But Texas Tech gets the win, 61-51. They take on Virginia on Monday. I was wanting to find out from you, and if you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. We got Jesse coming up in a minute or two to talk Cubs, but we'll get back to the calls. Should the foul have been called? in the Virginia-Auburn game. Is that a time where the referee with, you know, 0.6 seconds on the clock should just pocket the whistle? Uh, By the rule, by the rule book, it was a foul. And as Bruce Pearl said, and he was on the wrong side of it, if it's a foul early, it's a foul late, it should be called. Also, will the participants affect how you watch this game? It's not a Duke and Kansas. It's not, you know, Michigan State and, uh, you know, one of the other top seeds, uh, Michigan State and Gonzaga, things like that. So will this affect the way you watch the game on Monday or you've watched the entire tournament? It is the big event. It is the NCAA championship game. You're going to watch no matter who the participants are. 312-332-3776. Also, we'll get into a little bit more stuff bottom of the hour on the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk some Cubs baseball in a second as Jesse will be joining us from Milwaukee. It's been a really uh, interesting couple of days up in Milwaukee. First two games of the series at Miller Park. 45 runs, 49 hits, 15 home runs, 
and 21 pitchers. Absolutely crazy what's been going on so far in this game, uh, these two games. You've got the Cubs snapping their six-game losing streak. They win 14-8 to yesterday. The Brewers are 7-2. and They wrap up the series today. Kyle Hendricks going against Zach Davies. And then the Cubs finally get to come home. You kind of thought maybe that it was an advantage. The Cubs were starting on the road. When you look at, you know, you're going to Texas, you're going to Atlanta, then you're going indoors to Milwaukee. Yeah, you've got a couple of tough teams in Atlanta and in Milwaukee. But you also are going to be playing in uh, relatively better temperatures relatively to what you would have had in Chicago or in New York or somewhere else, Cincinnati. You know, a lot of cold going around Major League Baseball. So the Cubs are 2-6 and six as they wrap up the weekend. They've got Kyle Hendricks taking the bump, and Hendricks obviously looking for a better start than he had in the first game. Last night, just an amazing game for the Cubs because of uh, who led the way. In the contest, okay. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Aaron on um, Twitter, got to me. He said, "If you if you would have said, listen, Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, and Baez go a combined three for eighteen from the plate, and the Cubs still score fourteen runs in the game. Well, one of the reasons the Cubs score so many runs in the game was Jason Hayward and Victor Caratini. The two combined went six for six with three homers, and uh, two. You know, Hayward had two homers, two walks." And two stolen bases. So that was pretty amazing. Caratini with three RBIs in the contest. Baez did hit his fourth home run of the season. But the Cubs getting the 14-day win over the Brewers last night. Cole Hamels going out. And Cole Hamels struggled early in the contest. It was a game where you kind of figured, okay, what's going to happen in this one? Because you need a good outing. You need your starting pitcher to step up and have a good game. And you weren't really sure how it was going to go because Cole Hamels did pitch pr- pretty well in the first game of the season. And then, you know, things happened. He gave up a grand slam. And that's never a good thing when you give up a grand slam to Delano DeShields Jr. And that's what happened in that contest. So yesterday, you need the Cubs to get a nice pitching outing. And early in the contest, uh, Cole Hamels was throwing a ton of pitches. He'd given up two runs. The Cubs had a 2-1 lead going to the bottom of the second. He gives up another run. Through two innings, he throws 51 pitches. You go, okay, how long can a guy like Cole Hamels stay out there? Well, you know what Cole Hamels did? He buckled down. Cole Hamels for the game for the Cubs yesterday, six innings, six hits, two runs. He didn't walk anybody, and that's a key. Five strikeouts. He threw 111 pitches. He retired the final six batters that he faced, and that was key for the Cubs because being able to keep Hamels in there and not having to go to your bullpen as early as the Cubs have gone to the bullpen the last couple of days, that was key. The Cubs used five relievers on a Friday night. Yesterday, they did have to use four relievers, two of them guys that were just called up from the minors, okay? You bring up guys like Kyle Ryan, and Alan Webster. Okay, Cub fans, I'm sure if I polled all of you after watching the game, you would now know who they were. But if I would have asked you on Friday who Kyle Ryan and Alan Webster were, you would have had no clue who these guys were. So now you do know, but the Cubs did have to go to them. And uh, the bullpen did not have a good time. Between Ryan, Webster, and Rosario, two innings, four hits, six runs, and uh, three walks. And uh, But the Cubs hang on. 
the offense overpowers what they needed to do. 14-8, to eight, a win over the Milwaukee Brewers. And from what we're going to, we're going up to Milwaukee. Talking to our guy, Jesse Rogers, who saw a win. Jesse, I was just mentioning, 45 runs, 49 hits, 15 homers, 21 pitchers in just the first two games of the series. It's been an interesting couple days in Milwaukee. Yeah, about eight hours of baseball. It feels like October baseball. You know, every pitch sort of takes a lot of time and the, and the game goes long. It, 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 it's felt like the season's a, been a month long, even though it's only been a week because the Cubs issue a lot of walks and they grind out at bat. So, you know, it's the positive and the negative on this team right now. The offense is clicking. The, the pitching is certainly not. And that's why you end up with these sort of games, high scoring and long games and sort of um, – I don't know. It's not the baseball anybody wants to see, including them. I'm not just complaining myself, just including them. Right. Um, I think I think there was a – did you see this? There was a close-up of Joe Madden sometime yep. late. Yeah, hey, it was well, bottom eight. Rosario, bottom yeah, eight. Yeah, it was bottom eight. 14-8 was the score. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe kind of swore to himself because <laughs> even he couldn't stand this walk fest that was going on. I mean, Rosario at that time I think it was 14-5. to five. And he's walking guys. Yeah. I mean, my God, just throw the ball down the middle of the plate. Um, you know, it's, we're, uh, people, you're, you're old school. You'd be like, hey, that guy's on the first bus to Iowa. If he can't throw a strike at 14 to 5, what's he doing here? Send a message. Sure. I don't know if they'll do that, but I know a lot of people would like to think that. Anyway, a win's a win. That's the most important thing for this team right now. If it took seven hours, so what, did, what did Joe say afterwards? It was, it's like oxygen. They needed a win like, uh, like, People need oxygen, so they got it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, yesterday, when you joined me and Murph, uh, Saturday mornings, 9 to noon here on ESPN 1000. Missed a uh, little, missed a lot. Yes, right. You mentioned that there were going to be some changes in uh, the bullpen, and basically when he got off the phone, the Cubs made the moves. Edwards going to Iowa, Montgomery to the injured list, and uh, Joe Madden did say before the game yesterday that Edwards didn't, you know, he obviously took it hard, but you expect a guy like that to take it hard. Yeah, I mean, he said he was kind of quiet at first, took it hard, then had a long talk with Lester Strode, the bullpen coach, who Edwards is probably closest with him than anybody. He, that's a guy he's down there with every single day now for several years. And he explained it to him, and he, and he gets it. He wants to get back to uh, to what he was. I mean, he was so good at the beginning of 17, the beginning of 18. I mean, the World Series experience, thought, you thought that would vault him to another level, and, and then he would fade uh, the last couple of years. This year it wasn't a fade. It was a bad start. Maybe that revamped delivery had something to do with it. I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to tweet out when we get off the phone or when I get to the press box, um, a, an early spring periscope. Everybody go to my Twitter at ESPN Shy Clubs. An early periscope, a video of Edwards in the bullpen throwing with that new delivery. And, I, and I've said this on the air, but I needed the proof. He was not tapping his foot twice um, early on. He would pause right before he hit the ground. And then he'd throw the pitch. And if he did hit the ground, it was so slight that I'm not sure he'd, he'd be called for it. And then all of a sudden, late in spring, or certainly in that first appearance, or, or uh, yeah, it, I guess it was the first appearance against Texas, he was doing it more pronounced where he was tapping his, his front foot twice, which you are not allowed to do. So he did not start out illegal. People want why is he doing this illegal from day one? I don't believe he was illegal from day one. So he goes from that to a more pronounced illegal move, then back to his own delivery. I, this is all between his ears. It really is. He's, this is, this is Fred, you hear this about players who are trying to make a slight fix, okay? 
they make a slight change, then they make a, 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 another change, then another change, then, and each change is small, and all of a sudden you are a mile from the pitcher you were before. And I feel like that's happened to him. He was just trying to alter things a little bit, and then he got a little bit further, a little bit further, and then he had to go back to his old way. And, my God, he was so devastating when he, when he was up here at his best, right. and he's nowhere near that. So, so um, maybe it's the fault of the cup pitch. Who knows? But he's down there. It's probably the right thing. You know, and Jess, I'm going to mention this, and it probably it, I'm, I'm saying this towards Edwards, but it's probably not only him, but it's a lot of baseball players, a lot of young players who come up, struggle a little bit. My dad used to tell me, I would say something, and, he would, and I would try to say, but dad, I thought, and he would say, listen, don't think. It's not good for you where you're not used to it. Um, right. Thinking's yeah. not a good thing sometimes. For athletes, what do they say in football? We don't want you to think. We want you to react. Now, like you were saying, Edwards was so good. We always thought he was going to be the guy. He's got an amazing fastball. What he does on the mound was great. It seems like over the last year or so, he's got into his own head, and because of that, he's all screwed up. And we well, talked. I don't we think talked, there's any doubt. Yeah. yeah, and and there was so much talk before the season about the mental coach who passed away, and now you got a new guy like a Bob Tewksbury coming in. And boy, you want you got a prime example. Here's a guy that Tewksbury really needs to sit down and figure out what's going on with him. Yeah, that came up yesterday. That Carl was tight with the with Ken Revisa, who did pass away. That. That, and then when you get a new psychiatrist, you know, I'm just using that word. Right. That's not what he But when you get a new one, you have to develop a little bit of a rapport. I mean, Joe was talking a little bit about that yesterday, sort of off the cuff, just kind of casually, that, you know, Tewksbury's still in learn, learning mode. Um, and, and even though he had all spring training, you know what it's like. Again, yep. think about a new psychiatrist. It's not going to take one or two sessions to really dig deep with someone. It's going to take a while. So, um Look, the loss of Ravisa, since you brought it up, has been under-talked about because it's one of those things that's in the air. You don't know exactly what it meant, but there's no doubt there's some meaning there. I mean, if you really want to draw a direct line, I mean, he passes away. The offense, which is the most mental part of the game, let's face it, goes south last year. And then you take certain pitchers who, who have been inside their head. Like, again, I don't know how much Ravisa or Tewksbury works with John Lester, right? But a guy like Carl Edwards absolutely was working with these guys. So, I don't know. I mean, Joe, Joe has talked about it. He certainly doesn't want to blame a Cubs collapse on their, on their mental skills coach passing away. That right. seems too dramatic. But, look, there's a reason he was one of the better ones at the game. You know what I mean? Like, if you lose someone that's good at his job, you're going to lose something, right? So, at least you're going to lose that rapport. So, anyway, the bottom line is this is up to Edwards, not to Experi or Ken Revisa, the late Ken Revisa. Edwards has to figure it out. The great ones do. Um, and then hopefully be back up here. Look, it's not the smoothest start. Ian Happ is down. Carl Edwards, think about those guys a couple years ago. Yep. Happ was a rising kind of, not star, but rising player. Edwards was a, a guy on the rise. There's two guys that have gone backwards, and that's why I've said recently to you and other people on the air, this team may not be as talented and as deep as it once was, and they got to figure things out knowing that. Jess, enjoy the game today. Hopefully, uh, knowing Kyle Hendricks, maybe he'll go on out there and give you a game around the 245 range instead of four hours. You would think. You would hope. I, I do feel like <laughs> both pitchers are going to pitch a little bit better. I just have this feeling it's going to be lower scoring, but how, how can it be higher scoring at this point? And let me just want to say one thing, being in the clubhouse, it really felt back to normal after that win last night. I can't really describe it better than that. Sure. They, they, that, 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 that cliche that we just need one, we just got to find a way to win and we'll be okay. That kind of felt that way last 
doesn't mean they're going to win tonight. I just I think we're going to start to settle down a little bit here in terms of uh, everything that's going on on the mound. I actually think Kyle Ryan had good stuff. He walked Christian Yellis. That's going to happen on, on a nice little battle. Now, Webster gave up a home run. Anyway, I think it's going to settle down a little bit. And last night, it felt a little bit more normal. Now, they're still behind the eight ball. Right. But I do think you're going to see, see a, a more normal Cub team moving forward and certainly getting home wouldn't help. I uh, wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt my, uh, my wardrobe either. I need to do some laundry. <laughs> Sounds good, Jess. Uh, opener tomorrow. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care, Fred. Jesse Rogers in Milwaukee. He will be home, as will the Cubs tomorrow. We'll get back into a lot of baseball talk a little bit later on, about 11 o'clock. We come back more on the NCAA tournament. We had a couple of callers. They couldn't hang on. If you want to talk about should that call have been made yesterday on the foul with .6 seconds to go, 312-332-3776, right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hewitt on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Jesse gave us a little preview of what's going on today and how the Cubs locker room was. We'll talk a lot more Cubs and a lot more baseball top of the hour. We'll try to set the 11 o'clock hour aside for talking baseball, getting you ready for games when they're coming up at 1 o'clock. We'll have the lineups for both the Sox and the Cubs before uh, the uh, contest gets underway, before we get out of here at 12 noon. Fred Huebner with you. 312-332-3776. Want to put a cap or at least for this show on the NCAA tournament. Again, uh, I asked a question. I know a couple of people were on, couldn't hold on. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. Virginia blows a 10-point lead. They were up 57-47 with 524 to go. Auburn comes back. They're up by four with 17 seconds to go. Kyle Guy hits a three with nine seconds. Then you have Auburn going to the free throw line. They make one out of two. They have a two-point lead. Then Kyle Guy going to the corner. And what happens? Virginia will inbound with Ty Jerome. Jerome to trigger on the near sideline. They're in the left-hand offensive zone. Down by two, 62 to 60. Jerome slaps the basketball, looking, peering, finds Guy in the left corner for three, and the win off the rim, no good, and the Tigers claw back the weight. Was there a foul? Was there a foul in the corner? The clock is at zeros, but Auburn fouled the shooter. Bruce Pearl is at half court. He can't believe it. I believe it, Bruce. There was a foul as Samir Doughty. Fouls Kyle Guy, who after a timeout steps to the free throw line. He makes two. Then Pearl uses his last timeout. His last timeout with .6 seconds left, trying to, you know, ice the shooter. It didn't help. Kyle Guy steps to the line, hits the third, and then they tried to set up a play for the long inbounds pass. Uh, they did not get a shot off. 63-62, the final. The question I had was, should the referees have made the call? When you make that foul with .6 seconds left, some people were saying, listen, it looked like a foul, but you can't call it at that point in the game. Uh, will the participants in the title game affect how you're going to watch the contest? And uh, if you do have a championship game party, like my buddy Tom Kelly, I'll be out there tomorrow night, hopefully. Uh, I'll be out there tomorrow night. And uh, we have a way to make it a little more interesting uh, viewing. And we'll get to that. And also, two other things I want to throw out, college basketball-wise. 312 I'm not a fan of one shining moment. 
Anybody else that agrees with me, give me a call. Or if you vehemently disagree with me, and if that's what you think is the best thing in the tournament, if you're not going to watch tomorrow, but you're just going to tune in to see one shining moment, let me know. 312-332-3776. And one of the dumber things I've heard in sports talk, and this is not about any of the guys that brought it up, because they brought it up for a reason, because other people brought it up. So whoever brought it up initially. But the talk this week of Duke and should they retire Zion Williamson's jersey. I'm sorry. The Final Four was yesterday. Was Duke there? No, Duke was not there. I can't believe people think that Duke should retire Zion Williamson's jersey if you agree or disagree with me. 312-332-3776. Let's go to the phones. Let's go first to Edgebrook and Scott. Scott, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, thanks for taking a call. Hey, real quick, Zion should not have his number retired. No disrespect to him. No, you can he was, take one. He, he's great, but he didn't win anything. Right. And, it's, you know, he was only there one year, and he didn't win anything. And he's going to be probably a great NBA player. And I'm sure they've got plenty of other great players in the NBA that came from there that don't have their jerseys retired. Right. That's the way it is. Um, you could take one shining moment, moment and throw it in a garbage can, tired of it. It's old. Cool. And, um, Lastly, there is no chance in hell that they actually should call that foul at the end of the game. Um, I, I still think the more egregious there is the missed double dribble. Did you did you see it when it happened, or did you see it afterwards? I screamed it the second it happened. It was so obvious. It was in total space, wide open. Defender was really nowhere that close to him to have even come close to tipping it. And he picked it up with two hands and kept going. I could not believe it. I screamed it right on the couch. Um, were you watching? No, were you watching the game by yourself? Because I scream on the couch too, and I'm always by myself when I do that. Uh, no, my fiance was sitting next okay. to me, but she jumped through the ceiling when I did. But sure, that happens. Um, there's no way that foul should be called. Now, I totally understand the letter of the law. He got a little bit underneath him. Right. He didn't give him a clean landing spot. He kind of arched into him a little bit. But all throughout games, whether it's high school, college, pro, you see referees talking to coaches nonstop. And the game is managed. And in the context of the situation, there are a hundred shooting fouls during the game that don't get called. And he got the shot off clean. The ball came out of his hand clean without any contact. And it was once the ball was gone that the bump and he couldn't land. And I know it's the letter of the law. They talked about jumping from A to B. Gene Steratore said it. I totally get it. I know that that's exactly it. Right. But guys are, guys are going to the rim going up and as long as somebody touches the ball they don't care if a guy gets cleaned out and flies off the baseline with body contact they always say he got the ball well all right in this case the guy got the shot off clean he's pulling up to not foul him no way that should be called and so many times it ends up games when guys go to the rim and they get crunched and there's no call and the buzzer goes off and the game goes to overtime referees whether it's high school or college that i know always say we don't want the game to be decided at the free throw line well damn it don't decide that game at the free throw line either do you now, think kudos to that kid for making three free throws right. that's unbelievable and i was very impressed with bruce pearl in general i've not been a bruce pearl fan right but the way he conducted himself in the post-game interviews i give him a ton of credit because i turned to my fiance and said i take a 10-game suspension a hundred thousand dollar fine and blow that interview up um and the and that ref up for that call now I do feel sorry for the refs that, you know, get stuck making those calls. But, hey, that's part of the game, man. Apparently, uh, all of, they're all part of it, you know. Uh, apparently, Pearl's son is an assistant, and he was not 
as calm as Bruce Pearl was, apparently yelling at the refs all the way into the tunnel, from what I understand. Um, but the other thing is, and you're right, it was funny, because I went back and watched, and the, the ball was away, and it's not like it affected the shot at all. So, and I understand, I, I understand the rule, like you were saying, Scott, and I appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. Um, I, it didn't have any effect on the shot. The ball was already on its way when he came down and then got fouled. Now, I understand, and Scott brought it up perfectly. It's NCAA Rule 4, Section 39.I. Um, verticality applies to a legal position and also to both the offensive and defensive players. The basic components of the principle of verticality are the defender may not belly up or use the lower part of the body or arms to cause contact outside his vertical plane or inside the opponent's vertical plane. Okay, I understand that. At that point in the game, the the foul did not affect the shot. I understand they called it to the letter of the law. I just wonder if they did not call it, if Virginia would have been as mad as the rest of the country is that thinks it shouldn't have been called. Um, 312-332-3776. And the other thing he was talking about, Virginia guard Ty, uh, Ty Jerome with 1.5 seconds left. He double dribbles off his back. He dribbled behind his back. The ball hits the back of his right foot. Jerome then picks it up, two hands, and dribbles again. The infraction goes uncalled. Uh, Brown was fouled. Uh, Jerome, uh, or fouled Jerome, Jerome, excuse me, to force an inbounds play. That should have been called, would have been Auburn's ball right there, would have been a big difference in the uh, game at that point. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. We go to Norwood Park and Eddie, you're at ESPN 1000. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, well. Not only I don't think it should be retired, but I watched Zion in that last game. That guy's a poor man's Charles Barkley, and he's going to get eaten up alive in the NBA, and he will be an average player. I heard the same thing about Andrew Luck as everybody talked about him like he was the next thing as God. And where is he now? You know, quite removed, he's not even playing. You talk about Barkley, though. I think Barkley was a little smaller size-wise, and Barkley was still an amazing player in the NBA. Uh, but you look at this, and Zion is two, you know, six eight, two eighty five. I don't know that he's going to be eaten up. I just think he's got to improve his shot a lot. But I thought the whole the whole talk about retiring his jersey after what a season where he missed several games because he was injured, and they don't make the Final Four. I didn't quite see the reasoning there. Absolutely, and. That shot that that guy got fouled on, it's like every shot that somebody takes a jump or somebody runs into their body. So you're right about that. That shouldn't even have been called. No, I, well, a lot of people are saying the same thing. Some people say that it did. Uh, Kevin gets to me on Twitter and says, yes, it did affect the shot. It, the shot's gone before there's contact made. Uh, when he showed the replays last night, I mean, you can, he's showing me a picture on my Twitter account at Fred underscore Hubner. Um, the ball was it was out of his hands before the contact was made because the contact was made when he was on his way down. Uh, I know on one picture you can see it, it in live action on the live action replays from the corner. The ball was already away from his hands when he was on his way down, so there was no contact made before the shot. Um, so, but still, letter of the law it didn't matter. Letter of the law, they made the call. The call was right. And then Kyle Guy, who steps to the line, makes the throws, and that was truly amazing. 
Unbelievable he was able to make that. 312-332-3776. I asked you if uh, there's a certain thing you guys do to make a championship uh, game a little more interesting. You may need to for this one because the, the gamblers are already out. You heard about it on the, uh, the Sports Center update bottom of the hour. The gamblers have put out the odds. They have opened the Texas Tech Virginia over under at a historically low 117 and a half. According to Bet Labs, it's the lowest national championship total since they started tracking college basketball data in 2005. The next lowest was Duke and Butler, which closed at 127 and a half. I'm trying to figure out how exciting a game that is a uh, 117 and a half. Obviously, if it's close all the way, it'll be interesting. It'll be exciting. What you can buy, the, buy these at party stores and things like that. They're called strip cards. And yeah, you put a dollar or a quarter or five dollars or whatever you want to, and you're right, you take a number. You put a number down. Or you put your name down, okay? And there's 10 spots. And then whenever, when it's all filled, they pull the tape off it, and then you find out what number you have. And Jim Nance will make sure he lets you know there's the first TV timeout. And whatever the score is at that point, say it's 15 12, you take 15 and 12, you add up five and two, and you got seven. Whoever's got seven wins the money. And then you put the money in for the next one. Uh, we talk about gambling. We talk about betting the odds. This is an easy way to make uh, championship games in any game that has TV timeouts, that has quarters. Uh, interesting. And we will hopefully do that. I've got my fives already for tomorrow night at my buddy's house tomorrow. 312-332-3776. Let's go to Lake Villa and Justin. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Justin. Justin, what's up? Justin, we'll put you back on hold. Uh, go to Gurney and Corey. Corey, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Corey. Hey, Fred. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. What's up? There's the... Uh... I was watching the game with my 14-year-old daughter, and she pointed out a, a, a third controversial call that no one's talking about is when they inbounded Auburn with .6 seconds or whatever it was left, and he threw up that shot. He was actually fouled. It was the same body contact after the shot. <laughs> so why wasn't that called? The only thing I could think of, because I was looking at it, and they didn't talk about it because the game ends and everybody's running the court and all that stuff. I think yeah. I think before he got the shot because it was only point six and it was a pass. I think the um, I think the clock went out before the shot went off. So I think even oh. if the shot went in, it would have been you know I'd have to go back and look. But you're right, yeah, and your daughter brings up a great point. I, yeah, it seemed like he got it off before before the buzzer did, and and he was fouled. Absolutely, there's body count. One of the one of the replays was behind, well, like above the basket, and I pre- I'm pretty sure you could see the outline of the red on the backboard before the shot or the attempted shot was put up. But yeah, it's a good catch because you're right; no one talked about that. It would have been nice if they went back and looked at it. But at the end of that game, they had so many other things to get to. That was the last thing they were going to look at. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking my call, buddy. Corey, thanks. I appreciate it. 312-332-3776. couple of callers want to talk about Zion. We'll get to that right after this. Fred Hubner with you. Lots of baseball talk coming up top of the hour right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. The field of 68 down to the final two. You heard the exciting games here last night on ESPN 1000. 
championship game tomorrow night. The tip at 820. I've always wondered. It's a 920 tip out east. Okay. That's awful late. It's not going to end till almost 1130, maybe a little later for the people on the eastern east coast. I know everything happens a little bit later out there, but that sounds crazy. Wouldn't you think you'd start a little bit earlier? It's an 820 start central time. Why not start at 720? Oh, well, you know, then people out west, you know. That goes back to my whole thing, and one of these days we'll get into it, and we'll get an expert on telling me why it's the dumbest idea ever. One time zone for the entire country. Just one. Yeah, it's going to be a little darker some places, a little lighter early, you know, others, but sorry. I, what's the point? I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a reason. I'm, I'm definitely not smart enough. I am not a smart man. When Forrest Gump said that, I looked at my wife and go, hey, she, she goes, don't brag about that. Let's go to Highland, Indiana, and Mark. Hey, Mark, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up? Hey, Fred, I love your show. You're, you're, the, most, uh, you're the most honest guy on the radio. I just wanted to say about hanging uh, one of these one-and-done guys number up in the rafters. These kids don't even go to school after January 1st, and then... This is another excuse for Jay Billis and all these guys to say, you know, we need to pay these athletes. They're already getting their their uh, their scholarship paid for. They get a platform to make millions of dollars in the NBA, and now they want to st- start hanging jerseys up with kids that have done nothing and aren't even going to class. You know, I'm Mark, I'd love to disagree with you on anything, but it's hard for me to do that. The only thing I would say, and I've never been for paying the players, the only thing I would say is, if the bookstore is selling shirts or jerseys with the player's name on it, he should be able to get a cut of something. Or he should be able to do an autograph signing off campus or something like that. And, well, we could agree to disagree. Okay. Well, and I, I appreciate it, Mark. I've never been for, never been for paying the players because I agree with Mark. But Mark brought up the best point there is. You know, they're saying, well, you know, uh, Zion Williamson, he should be making money. He is making money. He was not going to be a number one pick in the draft uh, if he didn't go to the one year of Duke. Okay, If he would have went straight from uh, high school to the NBA, which eventually you're probably going to be able to do, maybe in a year, um, he was not the number one guy. R.J. Barrett was the number one freshman coming in. R.J. Barrett may have been the number one pick. But the money that Zion Williamson made because he played at Duke is ridiculous. It's so much more than he would have made if he didn't play at Duke. And a Duke education is not inexpensive. There are a lot of people that go to Duke for four years that get out of school and for the next 20 years are still paying for their college loans. Okay, Um, They get their education paid for. I know so many people say that's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. Ask anybody else that has college loans for 15 or 20 years, okay? It's a huge deal to get that stuff paid for, and they're getting it paid for. So I don't think you can't just pay them. And I know I've heard a lot of different people. I was listening to a Bill Burr podcast the other day. I've gotten to start listening to the comedian's podcast every Monday and Thursday. And he was talking about the players should be paid a certain fee, football and basketball players. No, I don't think so. But I've gotten to the point and even Dick Vitale has gotten to the point. Let him have autograph signings. Let him make a percentage of the jerseys and shirts that are sold with their names on it. I don't have a problem with that. You know what will happen then? 
colleges will take the names off the back of your uniforms. We're playing for the team on the front of the jersey, not the team on the back. We got a Skokie and Ted. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Ted. Uh, first thing, I'm all for uh, letting the players uh, get paid for their likeness and having endorsements and, and things like that. I think it's only fair. Uh, but I want to get back to that last shot or the uh, the foul, the Auburn foul. Have you seen the photos where the, the, the there's clearly contact, body contact, while he's getting the shot off? The photo so from sure what... the photo from behind the basket is, is deceptive. If you saw the replay, you could see the ball was clearly out of his hands before he was on his way down. That's when the contact was made. No, I'm talking about the Virginia shot. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Well, the, the, there's a there's a there's a photograph not from there's a photograph with somebody right there on the sideline uh, where there's body contact and the ball is still in his hands. Well, we can disagree because I I saw it in live action and they showed the replay from the corner and the contact was not made. He got underneath the guy and the contact was not made till he was on his way down after the shot was off. We're going to baseball talk. We come back after this on ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Uh, I don't usually do this, and there are, um, there are broadcasters everywhere that never do it. I was wrong. I just went back to look. Todd, I was wrong. Kevin, I was wrong. I went back and looked at the same angle that I saw last night, and uh, the contact was made to Kyle Guy's knee just before the ball left his hands. Um, So, yes, indeed, I was wrong. You guys were right. And by saying that and looking at it again, then the call had to be made because it had a huge effect on it. When I first saw it, I I thought the ball had left the hands before the call was made. It wasn't. So, you guys were all right. I was wrong. The call was made correctly. Virginia wins. And uh, now we'll see. How many points are scored? 117 and a half. That's the over-under. You'll hear a lot of talk about that tomorrow right here on ESPN 1000. But over the next ah, 45 minutes, you're going to hear a lot of baseball talk. Talking baseball with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Makata drills this ball right field. The only question is which deck. It's a two-run homer. A comet on a progressive field. Blast deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And the pitch. Swinging at a fly ball to right and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here! Gone for Yelich! You can't do that that easy. That guy, folks. We're talking baseball. In the air to right center field. How about this for a homecoming? That is crushed into the second deck for Bryce Harper. And he gives those Phillies fans a chance to jump up and down one more time. This ball is K-I-L-T kilt. My goodness. Chance to walk it off against Neil Ramirez here in the ninth. It's a hard, then it goes far. It dies deep to the barrel. Deep break. Yeah, we're gonna finish. It's over. Cubs win. Cubs win. 
Talking Baseball with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Ah, Cubs win. Glad was able to say that yesterday for the second time this season. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776. That's the number. Lots of baseball talk for the next 45 minutes. Talk about the Cubs snapping that six-game losing streak. We'll hear from Theo Epstein as Theo talked to the gathered media in Milwaukee before the game yesterday. Said some interesting things. We'll hear that. We'll also talk about Joe Madden. We'll get you the lineups for today's series finale against Milwaukee. Lots to discuss. We're going to do this each and every Sunday. Uh, Talk tons of baseball. And obviously, you would say, well, why wouldn't you? It's baseball season. Well, we'll also throw in other baseball talk. John Boog Shambi from ESPN was on with Waddle and Sylvie talking about the pace of game issue. Want to get into that. Also, Joe Madden. Jesse had a chance to talk to Joe Madden about, you know, Terry Francona. He got a contract extension a week or so ago. What are your thoughts on that? Also, all these new guys signing contract extensions. Not going to be any free agents out there. Not only for the White Sox. I'm getting so tired of people saying, well, you know, the White Sox, they said that they would be able to get, they said they'd be able to get uh, guys like, you know, Arenado, and they'd be able to go after Betts. No, they never said that. They said, we'll have money for other free agents. They never said names. They didn't even say Machado or Harper during the whole thing. So watch, uh, watch what you say when you're uh, getting into these kind of things, Okay. So we'll talk about a lot of baseball. 312-332-3776. Now, before yesterday's game, Jeff Passan put out a stat. Jeff Passan, ESPN, joins the guys throughout the course of the week. Says, I typically am not the guy to overreact to seven games. But in the last 35 seasons, per ESPN stats and info, 68 teams started 1-6 and six or worse, and only three have made the playoffs. In the last dozen years, just four have finished over 500. And right now, again, this is before yesterday's game, the Cubs are 6-1. and one. And Passon went on to say, for what it's worth, none of the teams that made the playoffs after starting 1-6 since 1984 advanced to the World Series. The 95 Reds got swept in the NLCS. The 07 Phillies got swept in the Division Series. And the 2011 Rays also lost in the Division Series. Suboptimal company for the Cubs. Well, the Cubs did get a win last night as they snapped that six-game losing streak. And they did it with unlikely sources. And when I say unlikely sources, Jason Hayward went 3-for-3 with two home runs, two walks, and two stolen bases. All that yesterday for Jason Hayward. Now, that was pretty amazing stuff. That was nice to see from Jay Hay. He also homered the night before. Victor Caratini was behind the plate. Victor Caratini went three for three with a home run. And three runs batted in. Javi Baez also went deep yesterday for the Cubs. His fourth home run of the season. Uh, The Cubs actually the sixth team in the live ball era to score 10 runs and compile 10 hits in four of their first eight games. And still, their record is just two and six. There is blame going around everywhere. Who's to blame for this Cubs' bad start? Um, well, before we get to 
who's to blame. Theo Epstein, who talked to the gathered media up in Miller Park, said, you know, everyone's a part of what's going on right now. That's part of the part of the game. You have to dig yourself out of it. You know, you have to kind of uh, find a way to stabilize it even when things seem really unstable. And I think our guys have been through it before, and I think we can do it. But again, it's not not trying to say that it, everything's everything's perfectly fine. It's got our attention, and we know it's important to, to play well. Of course, it's got your attention. The Cubs started one and six, and people were going crazy, absolutely nuts. They were blaming everybody. You got to get rid of this guy. You got to get rid of him. Joe Madden. Oh, you can lose him now. Uh, the pitching staff's too old. Remember Pakota's projections? They kept going down 82 wins, 81 wins, 80 wins, 79 wins. Uh, Pakota probably uh, saying, yep, that was us as the Cubs went off to a one and six start. Now, the Cubs did get a win yesterday. They are two and six. Uh, but the blame goes everywhere. And uh, that's what Theo has to say. But when it comes to allocating where the resources go, Theo put it right on himself. Tom Ricketts is not the problem. It's not a resource issue. And I know he's another one who's been taking a lot of heat. It's it's not not the it's not a resource problem. If people have a problem with the allocation of resources, then that's me. And it has been ever since I got here. So with a lot of good and some bad and. And you know, it's you know, it, 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 it's an, it's a team wide issue, and we know we have to play better ball. But just sort of like search for magic bullets or scapegoats, that's, I don't think that's that's really productive. I understand it, but you know, um, it's ultimately it's all my responsibility. You know how we play on the field, um, the talent that we have, um, the, the direction we're headed. So uh, I think. And yet I'm not in it alone. I, you know, thank God. We have really talented people here. We have great players that we trust, and we're all going to be part of pulling out of this. Now, Theo said right there, ultimately, it's all my responsibility. So when people are looking for scapegoats, people are looking for, hey, Tom Ricketts, he didn't spend the money. If he spent the money, we'd be able to do it. Well, think about it. If, if any team in baseball would just go on out and buy the best player at every position, that doesn't necessarily guarantee they're going to win. Now, I was one of the guys that said, well, if I'm Tom Ricketts, I can understand him not giving Theo more money. After he gave him money last year and he went out and got Hugh Darvish, Brandon Morrow, and Tyler Chatwood, who at the end of the season could not help him last year. Okay, Chatwood wasn't helping. Morrow was hurt. Cole Hamels did what he could. He pitched well, but wasn't good enough. Okay, and Hugh Darvish wasn't there either. So Darvish, Chatwood, and also Morrow were not there. And those are all on Theo. Theo made those decisions to bring those guys in and spent a lot of money to do it. So if you're Tom Ricketts, you say, Theo, I just gave you all this money last year. We had to re-sign Cole Hamels for $20 million. I'm not giving you any more money. You've got the team you wanted. Now go win with them. So that's what this Cubs team needs to do. 312-332-3776. And we were all wondering what was going on because last year this team could not hit down the stretch. They could not score runs. We saw they could not score in game 163. We saw they couldn't score against Colorado. They could not score. Well, they're scoring now. They have the best average in baseball at 307. They have the best on-base percentage in baseball at 399. They have the fourth best slugging percentage in baseball at 519. What this team's not doing is pitching. 
Their ERA is 787. That's worse than baseball. Not just in the National League, all of baseball. Their walks and hits to innings pitched, their whip, 30th in baseball, 2.02, which basically means you give up a walk and hit, you put at least two guys on base every inning. They are number one in baseball in allowing the most walks, 49. Their opponent's average is the worst in baseball. The pitchers for the Cubs are allowing the opposition to hit 316. So you've got to outslug the opposition. So the stat I read to you about the Cubs being the sixth team in the live ball era to score 10 runs and compile 10 hits in four or of their first eight games, they need to do this. They've been pounding the ball, and they've only got two wins this season. That's got to change. They made a change yesterday. They sent a couple guys. They sent Edwards down to Iowa, Montgomery going to the injured list, and they bring up Kyle Ryan and Allen Webster. They can only hope they pitch better than yesterday, right? Walked the guy. Webster gave up a three-run homer. And for those who, Jesse and I mentioned it uh, a little more than an hour ago, but um, someone's no doubt going to talk to Joe Madden, and Madden will probably have a response to it. But the cameras for NBC Sports Chicago caught Madden with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning and the score 14-8, to eight, two more guys on base. Madden just basically looking at the camera and saying, I'm so tired of this blank. I want to stay on the air, even though it's a Sunday morning. I don't, don't want to say that word. So Madden was caught on TV saying that. Madden's not the only one. It hit Twitter right away. And all the fans watching this are tired of watching walks. And as I mentioned, 49 walks in eight games from the pitchers of the Chicago Cubs. Their bullpen ERA, 9.51. It's the second worst in all of baseball. Now, I didn't expect the bullpen ERA to be this bad because if you think about it, numbers-wise, ERA-wise, their bullpen was not that bad last year. All bullpens get criticized when they screw up. When they don't, no one says, oh, the bullpen was great, everything was great. They don't talk about that. The win was huge. Joe Madden talked about it yesterday. Well, first of all, Cole was outstanding. Cole uh, getting as deeply as he did. If they had so many foul balls, I was going to send him out. At least give him a shot to start the next inning and then start working the bullpen after that. But uh, I think it was Grandal that got him up to 110. But he was really good. And, of course, their offense was spectacular. The ball's hit all over the field. It's hit over the wall. Uh, we played a pretty good game. Uh, we still have to get the, the bullpen in order. Um, I did not want to see Ciszek in that game, but we had to do it at the end. But overall, pretty good performance on our part. Yeah, they had no choice because Ryan, Webster, and Rosario want to combine two innings, giving up four hits, six runs, and three walks. Um, the Cubs needed all the runs they got. Uh, 14-8 the final as they get the win yesterday. I mentioned Cole Hamels, who at the start of the game yesterday uh, threw 51 pitches in the first two innings. The score was tied 2-2 after two. But Cole Hamels settled down. He went six innings, six hits. Two runs. He walked no one, and that's key. Five strikeouts and Hamels on his 115-pitch outing. You know, I think you, know, you don't really uh, look past probably yesterday. Uh, you know, so, you know, to, to really kind of come into a game, you know, my, my whole intention is obviously taking what, what probably transpired the day before, uh, and that's as far back as, as I think I ever really try to remember. Um, you know, and, and then just really going out there and just trying to execute, and, you know, because of, 
yesterday's game with no understanding, you know, pitchers, uh, you know, need a breather in the bullpen. That was kind of the intent is, you know, that that's the reason why you go out there is because you're trying to go out there, you're filling uh, up some innings and, and obviously trying to keep the game close. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, something where, you know, I was able to kind of go a little bit deeper in the pitch count, uh, you know, probably for a early in the season, but at the same time, that's kind of what we train for. So um, I know there'll be some some times where I'll get a breather. There will be, and let me correct myself. I said 115. He had 111 pitches yesterday, and he went to the sixth. You figure the Cubs can figure it out in, you know, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah, not so much. Uh, he had given up two runs, the final score of 14 to eight. So the bullpen given up six runs in the last three innings to the Brewers, but the Cubs bats with Hayward and Caratini doing the damage and the Cubs get the win. As I get, as I said earlier, it'll be, uh, Hendricks going today against Kyle Davies for Milwaukee. Here's your lineup for the Cubs. Ben Zobrist is in right. Chris Bryant is at third base. Anthony Rizzo's at first. Javi Baez is at short. Kyle Schwarber in left. Wilson Contreras catching. Daniel Descalso, who's been really good so far this season for the Cubs. He's at second base. And Jason Hayward is in center field. Descalso right now, eight for his first 20. He's driven in four runs. Um, he's a guy that uh, you almost need in the lineup right now. He's continuing to hit. Nice to see that Hayward, after the uh, three for three and two homers, three homers in the last two games, nice to see he is back in the lineup. Jason Hayward, um, Victor Caratini not, but Caratini, he's your backup. you got to get Wilson Contreras back in because Contreras is hitting real well right now too. Contreras with a home run the other day, uh, looking really good at the plate. So that's the lineup for your Cubs as they get ready to wrap up their series. If you're getting ready for tomorrow, which we will be doing tomorrow also here at ESPN 1000, the Cubs opener, the Cubs and Pirates, the three-game series, it'll be John Lester tomorrow, you Darvish on Tuesday, Jose Quintana on Thursday. This doesn't look right because it should be Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday because Tuesday's an off day. But anyway, I was just reading this off at Twitter. But uh, Lester on Monday, then the next two games will be Darvish and uh, Quintana. So uh, hopefully, it's supposed to be really nice tomorrow for those going out to the Cubs opener, 71 and sunny. I'm going to the Sox game on Tuesday, supposed to be 60 and sunny or maybe a little cloudy, which is fine. I'm pale. I don't like the sun. Uh, that's another story. Now we go from the north side to the south side. The White Sox yesterday, um, Lucas Giolito trying to come off uh, his first good outing of the season, his first outing of the season, six and the third, as he pitched very, very well for the White Sox. He takes the hill yesterday, not so good. Four and the third innings, six hits, five runs, four walks, and four strikeouts. Lucas Giolito. Led the American League in walks last year. Tyler Chatwood led the National League in walks. Giolito didn't pitch bad in his first game yesterday. It all fell apart a little bit. The Mariners jumped on him and jumped on him early. Home runs were a key factor in the game yesterday. Jose Rio, uh, Jose Ruiz pitching for the White Sox. He pitched a third of an inning, gave up three hits and three runs. One of the things you want to talk about when you look at the White Sox is guys growing up. Guys in the rebuild that you need. Yohan Moncada went over five yesterday, two strikeouts. He did not have a good game, but that just means he lowered his average to 379. Uh, his on base to 438 and his uh, slugging to 724. Moncada's been off to a great start to move to third base, has been really good. You want to jump in 312 332 3776. Tim Anderson 
who I was all over last year, and in my opinion, rightfully so. He figured it out defensively in the second half of the year last year. This year, he made errors in both of the first two games, throwing errors. Anderson's been doing it with the stick. Three for four yesterday, he belts a home run. Jose Abreu with his third homer of the season. Abreu usually gets off to slow starts. He does not like the cold weather. Abreu is hitting very, very well. There are a couple of guys in the White Sox not hitting real well. Daniel Palka and Yolmer Sanchez. Daniel Palka is 0 for 21 right now. And he's got to go to the minors. He's got to be able to figure it out. You can't keep running a guy like Daniel Palka out there to right field. He's not out there today. We'll talk about that in a second. Yolmer Sanchez came up with a really heady play. Now, I don't know if it's a heady play or if you would call it a Bush League play. But there was a play in the first inning of the game yesterday with Malik Smith on first base. And there's a fly ball to right field. And Yolmer Sanchez was playing second base. As Malik Smith is going to second base, he kind of wasn't sure where the ball was. And it appeared that Yolmer Smith, or Yolmer Smith, Yolmer Sanchez told him that he's got to get back. And he made a move with his foot on second base. He made a move to first base. And then without touching second base again, he went to third. You can't do that. And I got to admit, I did not know that rule. I figured your foot's on the base. It doesn't matter where else you're going. You didn't take your foot off the base. So he wasn't necessarily heading back to first base. He still had his foot on the base. But I guess the rule is, even if you make an attempt or a movement back to first base, you've got to step on the second base again. And then before you go to third, he didn't. He was out. And the White Sox got out of a first inning. There would have been a first and third jam with one out. As it turned out, it was first base Two outs. Um, Yolmer Sanchez, a heady player. He has struggled. He's made several errors this year. Pop-ups, catching, a line drive, a soft liner that went off his glove. He is just one for 24. Something's got to happen with these two guys. You have Jose Rondon, who is a guy that can play second base. He can play shortstop. He can fill in. He can usually hit the ball. We'll see how he does. But this is a year of rebuild. The rebuild continues for the White Sox. And Eloy Jimenez yesterday, three for four. Those three hits all singles, but he pulled one down the left field line. He hit one to right field, hit one up the middle. And it's nice to see a guy like this hit the ball. He's up to 250 now. He struck out a little bit. And it's interesting to me the way that he is being pitched to. He is being pitched to like a veteran, like a veteran slugger. Nothing but curveballs and sliders and trying to work on him. And it's interesting to see a first-year player, 22-year-old who's just come up. People are pitching to him based on his reputation, and I'm a little surprised to see that. Uh, the White Sox line up for today as they send Ivan Nova to the hill, trying to split their series with the Mariners before the tough Tampa Bay Rays come to town. It'll be Anderson at short leading off. Rondon is at second base. He's batting second. Abreu is DHing. Wellington Castillo batting fourth. Yohan Moncada has dropped down the fifth. Um, you have Eloy Jimenez at sixth. Yonder Alonso, they dropped him down all the way to seventh. Ryan Cordell is in right field. Adam Engel is in center field. Ricky Renteria having fun with his lineup, moving people all around. Uh, Rondon is batting two. Castillo is clean up. Moncada drops down to five. Drop Jimenez down to six and uh, Alonzo down to seven with Cordell in right field. And uh, we'll see how they do today. It'll be the White Sox and Ivan Nova going 
on the south side. Let's head to Rogers Park and Norman. Norman, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Yeah, how are you? I just wanted to talk about the White Sox a little. And uh, I know a lot of people were upset. You know, we didn't sign Machada. We didn't sign Harper. And I want to draw a, draw a little analogy. If you remember when the Bulls traded for Cartwright, they traded Oakley. And I've always contended, what was the key to that trade? And the key to that trade was Horace Grant. So you didn't lose anything when you let go of Oakley because Horace Grant stepped in. So we didn't sign Machada. If, now this is a big if, but if Anderson and Machada develop, as we hope they do, then you spend the money on pitching because pitching seems the thing that's just so hard to develop. And you say that you haven't put three hundred million into a position player. What's your opinion on that? Well, you know, and the you you bring up a great point, Norman, because pitching is the toughest. The White Sox have a lot of pitchers they're, that they're hoping develop, but a veteran pitcher is going to be a big help if they can go on out and sign one. And all these other guys, uh, for the most part, that have signed extensions are young position players. So, you know, I kind of thought before the season that going out and getting a guy like Dallas Keuchel would have been interesting for the White Sox because he might be that kind of guy that you could bring in and he could help the youngsters and be the veteran pitcher. Right now, the veteran pitcher for the White Sox, they bring in Ivan Nova and Irvin Santana may go, but when the White Sox expect to be good, neither one of these expected to be there. It's very difficult to have a young starting staff. So I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Tim Anderson may actually be able to figure it out. He's getting better uh, in the field. And at the plate, he seems like he's got it. I just don't want him to become a guy that thinks he has to hit the long ball. He could be a gap guy, you know, gap to gap. He's got power. He'll turn on the ball once in a while. But I don't want him swinging for the fences all the time. At uh, the guaranteed rate, you don't need to swing for the fences. Ball's going to leave the park anyway. We come back. The pace of the game. John Shambi had some ideas. See if you agree or disagree. You want to jump in? We're talking baseball. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776 on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. Talking baseball here. We'll try to do this in the uh, one of the hours based on whenever Jesse can join me. Jesse joined me about 10-15 from Milwaukee. Cubs wrapping up their series there. The White Sox wrapping up their series with the Mariners. Yvonne Nova going for the White Sox. It'll be Kyle Hendricks going for the Cubs up in Milwaukee. I had asked earlier um, if you still plan on watching the NCAA tournament now that you're going to get a probably a defensive battle with Virginia and Texas Tech. Chuck says, I will watch, but guessing it will have the lowest ratings in the past 20 years. And Catherine said, um, oh, what did Catherine say? She said, with Auburn and Michigan State out, won't be watching the title game. Again, strip cards in uh, my buddy's uh, house and uh, partying and uh, watching the game. It's an annual ritual, and we will do it again tomorrow night. Uh, we always look forward to it. But I'm out of the house before one shining moment. Can't stand that song. But again, that's just me. I'm strange when it comes to uh, certain things, and that's one of them. Um, before we get to John Shambi from ESPN talking about the pace of game issue, Joe Madden is in the final year of his contract. We all know that. It's going to be a huge story all year long. It's going to be brought up all year long. Everyone's talking about it. As a matter of fact, Doug Glanville was on with Cap uh, earlier in the week and talked about the pressure on the Cubs skipper. 
I don't think you can avoid it. I, I just don't think you can. I mean, um, as you mentioned, with Joe Madden and you know some of the sort of leadership questions or the pressure now of, all right, whole coaching staff is sifted out. Um, you know, the, the expectations are now that last year was a failure. So those, you know, combinations make it very different about how Joe Matt, uh, in terms of his sort of bandwidth to, you know, start off poorly in April, for example. So, you know, and I don't know if that's something the, you know, front office, the offseason can sort of clear the air. I know with, he's done that at different times with players saying, look, you're not getting traded or, you know, I don't know if that's something, but I believe that communication is important because keep in mind, like Joe Madden, is still one of the more popular managers from around the league. Like, there's a lot of players out there that say, I, one of the managers I'd love to play for is Joe Madden. So he has a certain level of popularity and interest, not only because of the success for a reason, and uh, and now with all the sort of, as I say, the bushes have been removed. Now you can't blame the culture because they've shifted the culture. You've stuck with the personnel, and, and you've changed the staff. So there's not a whole lot left other than Joe Madden going down, or you have to start looking beyond Joe Bat, and I think that's where the Cubs are. And, and I think that high expectation is going to collide on the field, and, and whether the players respond and carry that um, to the next level and win this division and therefore the World Series uh, is going to be the big question mark. I don't think, you know, as Doug Glanville with Cap the other day, I don't think that any player is going to play harder because he's trying to save Joe Madden's job. Every player in baseball should be playing as hard as they possibly can, each and every play, for themselves. You don't want to ever look bad when you're on the field in a baseball game, and you're trying to win. You're always trying to win. Everybody on the Cubs is trying to win. Uh, Randy Rosario was trying to win yesterday. He didn't mean to throw that uh, that three-run homer. Or no, that was actually... <laughs> That was actually Webster that threw the three-run homer. Um, but everyone's out there trying to win the game, okay? There is pressure on Joe Madden. And I'm not a big fan of people bringing it up. But my guy, Jesse Rogers, brought it up to Joe Madden the other day. And there was a reason for why Jesse was saying it. You know, Tito got a contract exception yes. today, and I'm sure you're happy for him. But you won the World Series in the playoffs the same amount. He's not even arguably in the easiest division. It is the easiest division. Do you ever think... And, you know, what's it take to get a contract extension if, if he's gone? No, I don't. Uh, I'm happy for Tito, yes. Uh, but I don't. I I really, uh, I've, I've never compared myself to other people. I don't, I don't think that's a healthy way to go about your business. I take care of mine. Uh, I'm very confident all this stuff's going to work its way through it in due time. So I... When I see something like that, I'm happy for Tito and his family. Like today with David, I'm happy for David and his family. Uh, when guys have lost their jobs, I call them or text them immediately to, to lend them support. It um, works both ways. But for me right now, I'm in a pretty good spot. Uh, I've, been, I've been treated more than well. Um, so I don't, I don't lament to worry about things like that. Joe's looking at it the right way, and I could only pray that no one brings it up for the rest of the season. I know that won't happen. I can only hope and pray that nobody else would bring it up. John Chomby talking earlier this week with Waddle and Sylvie. Everyone's talking about the pace of the game. Games are going too long. The Cubs game last night was about four hours, like Jesse said. It's like two games. There's been uh, all kinds of runs scored, 45 runs, 49 hits, 15 homers, 21 pitchers, and eight hours of baseball. Chomby talked with Waddle and Sylvie about trying to make the game a little bit quicker. I do think that in terms of younger fans, I'm a really big believer in 
pace of play and lack of contact is a problem. Now, I did a Yankee Red Sox game last year where on a Sunday night, Miguel Andujar doubled the start an inning and Brock Holt flew out in the bottom of the inning. And between those two plays, there were 24 minutes where the ball wasn't put in play. Wow. Nobody wants to watch that, guys. Like, you just, I love this sport, but there are too many athletes out on the field, too many good players that aren't getting to run, throw, field, and do their thing because the ball's not in play enough, and they play too slowly. So I take nothing off of it. I, like, I would consider shortening games to seven innings. I think that a pitch clock is necessary. I, I just, it's got to move more. It's just got to have a little bit more of a sped-up effect to it. And, and I, I get it that you know people don't like to see fundamental change in the sport. But even stuff like, you know, I, I get teased for it, but I really do believe, like, there shouldn't, we should not be playing games longer than 12 innings. Like, if you were inventing this sport today, you would not invent a sport and say, we're going to play 162 games and we play them all to perpetuity until there's an outcome. Like, right. That's just dumb to play that many games like it should just it should be done at the end of 12 maybe even 11 or 10 so i, I know for people who consider them purists that type of thing but to appeal to a younger audience i just think the game's going to have to move more so i do think that there is a problem that is coming that is you know we're not necessarily seeing it right now a couple things john chomby said he said he was all for moving the game to seven innings no you that's that's changing the whole game you can move it from nine to seven innings pitch clock yes i was actually timing yesterday lucas giolito from the time he got the ball till the time he threw it most of the time it was close to 20 seconds which is what you're supposed to do there are other times where pitchers don't do that and i think they should be that should be enforced the other thing he brought up about the extra innings thing, okay? Everybody complains about extra innings. Oh, the game goes so long. Look what happens. Well, the Cubs had a game last year, I think, that went 17 innings early in the season, okay? But for the season, the Cubs played a total of 19 games that were extra inning games. You're going to make all kinds of rules for 19 games out of 162? That's ridiculous. And out of those 19, I think eight of those were more than 12 innings. You've got to be able to figure out how to go 12 innings, okay? Games beyond that, maybe you come up with something. But there's no reason to change the rules after nine if you're tied at that point. Uh, really quickly, let's grab a call. Let's go to Homewood and Jay. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Jay, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, you know, I love the Cubs. I think we've been one of the most successful organizations over the last four years in terms of winning percentage. But even at the latter part of last year, even the middle of last year, you can see that they're pitching. Um, and let's fast forward to this year. If you look at uh, miles per hour, they're at the bottom 10% of the league, and that's not going to go away, guys. This is the beginning of the year when the arms are the strongest. And so they got some good guys. They've had a couple of them have had some terrific careers. But if we think this all of a sudden going to be this big winning, this winning total and they're going to run off eight or nine wins in a row consistently, how can they when they're at the bottom 10% in terms of miles per hour? And I know miles per hour isn't anything isn't everything, but it's a big part of it. Uh, so I think, um, you know, unless they make some major changes, and I don't know how you do it with, you know, Hayward signing. And Hayward, you know, he's been, you know, average. You know, he's done okay. Yeah. But compared to the money he's making. And, and the pitcher, uh, who Darvis, oh, my gosh. And we can go on and on about him. But the reality is the data shows the Cubs are at the bottom 10% in terms of miles per hour, and that matters. Unless they make a big signing, 
their outcome is not going to change in terms of uh, being 500 or, or a little bit above. That's it. Jay, thanks, pre- thanks, Jay. I appreciate the call. The one thing I got to tell you before we take a break about the miles per hour, okay, is when you got see miles per hour like that, there's one thing. All pitchers, when they get to a certain age, are going to usually lose their miles per hour, unless you're Justin Verlander, who just continues to seem to throw, you know, at the top of his range, okay? Um, I'm not saying anything about Justin Verlander. I'm just saying he's still throwing at the top of his uh, range. But that's when you got to learn to become a pitcher, okay? Kyle Hendricks doesn't necessarily have that miles per hour. Cole Hamels is a guy who's older, and he fig- he's a very, very good pitcher. He can pinpoint stuff. That's when you can't just rely on your stuff. you got to worry about your pitching. And I think Lester's the same way. So they can figure it out. Um, can Quintana? I don't know. Uh, we'll see if that's going to work out or not. One more baseball note before we take a break and then talk Chicago Fire Soccer really quickly before we're out of here. Everyone talked about St. Louis and picking up Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller's not been the same guy. The Cardinals lost last night to San Diego 6-4. to Andrew Miller went two-thirds of an inning, giving up two hits, two walks, four runs. He gave up Manny Machado's two-run homer, Machado's second-round tripper of the year in the eighth inning. St. Louis, you know, they got Miller thinking he would help. And also their other pitcher Reyes just went to is going down after a really bad four uh four games out of the bullpen. Their bullpen is struggling. So you may not have to worry about the Cardinals as much as you thought. But you know what? It may not be the Cardinals, but you still got the Brewers. Brewers have won nine of the last thirteen against the two teams. It'll be Zach Davies going against Kyle Hendricks today. Chicago Fire were in Toronto yesterday. We'll talk about that. We come back. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's game day with Fred Hubner on ESPN One Thousand and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, we're going to talk Chicago Fire soccer in just a second here on ESPN One Thousand. First of all, yep, believe it or not. It's getting real close to spring football. And you want to know how close it's getting? I'm driving in this morning. And I look on the Stevenson. On the north side of the Stevenson as I'm driving in, there's a big billboard. And who's up there but none other than my buddy, my pal, Jonathan Hood. Talking about under the hood, weeknights here on ESPN 1000. Well, I get a little reward for you guys that are still out there listening. If you want to make a little trip on out to the Kankakee Grill at the Four Winds Casino in South Bend next Saturday, I got something for you. Jay Hood will be out there Saturday from 12 till 2 Eastern Time. That's 11 till 1 Central Time for the Blue and Gold Game, the Four Winds South Bend. That's right. Four Winds Casino in South Bend. Dining, gaming, fun. They got the Copper Rock Steakhouse. The award-winning uh, menu featuring dry-aged steaks and everything else. Kankakee Grill, that's where he will be. First four callers right now, 312-332-3776. I got a $100 gift card to the Four Winds Casino in South Bend. You can join uh, Jay Hood from 12 till 2 Eastern time. Come meet the ESPN team at the Kankakee Grill. A fun watch party to watch the blue and gold in the spring game. First four callers, 312-332-3776, a $100 gift card. Jump on it right now. Yesterday, the Chicago Fire were in Toronto. The Fire got a win. They got a one nothing win, a much-needed victory, their first win of the season last week, and they headed to Toronto. Now, Toronto's got Josie Altidore. Tor- Toronto has Michael Bradley. Names that, even if you're not a diehard soccer fan, you may know because they played for the U.S. men's national team. They also have a guy named Alejandro 
Paleto, who Pizuelo, if I could say it right, Pizuelo, who is uh, a guy, a, um, a designated player that they have, who is a very, very good player. He came up with two goals and an assist last week in his first game. So the Fire knew they were going to have it tough going to Toronto, trying to... Uh, trying to take it, trying to get some points out of a road game. And that's what you always try to do in soccer. You try to win your home games and at least get a point on the road. That would be great. So early in the contest, uh, Pozuelo goes to work. 31 minutes, he sends a ball across the box and right to the head of Josie Altador, who gets it past David Ostad, and it's one nothing Toronto. And it looked like that's the way it was going to be for the Chicago Fire going into the half. But then, in extra time in the first half, ooh, the fire strike back. CJ Sapong looking to sneak in. Sapong scores! CJ Sapong has leveled it. What a big goal late. And again, CJ Sapong does it. That is a fantastic finish by CJ Sapong. And it all starts there by Katai just poking that away. And then the movement. You see Nikolic coming in. And then the secondary run of Sapong taking advantage of the space behind. One comes, one goes. Great ball. Great first touch here. Fantastic first touch. And Bowman gets caught in no man's land there coming out. And then just a great finish. But the defensive work by Katai, first of all, to come back. Yes, very, very good stuff. My guys, Dan Kelly and Frank Lopez on the call on ESPN+. Plus. So going into the break, the Chicago Fire and Toronto FC tied at one, and that was great to see. Getting a goal late in the first half, a key for any soccer team. Big for the Chicago Fire, C.J. Sapong with his third goal for the Fire this year. A guy they picked up. 10 days before the season started, and he's got three goals for them already. One guy that had not scored yet is Nemanja Nikolic. Nikolic, when he came over to the Chicago Fire, the Golden Boot winner, which definition means the person who scores the most goals in Major League Soccer that year. Well, Nemanja Nikolic has had some chances. He's not been able to score. That was until yesterday in the 62nd minute. Mavinga losing it. Brushed forward by Dax McCarty. Here comes Katai. Sapong in the area. Katai, the cross. Nemanja Nikolic back to the goal. And the Chicago Fire have their first lead. And Nemanja Nikolic has his first goal of the season. And then you felt the momentum. You felt the momentum changing that the fight team were getting more in the ball. They were becoming more dangerous. Toronto was getting a little bit more sloppy as Michael Bradley was pushing higher up the field. Every time they would lose the ball, there were opportunities in transition. And you can see it here. And the minute this happens, great run there by Sapong. And then fantastic movement by Nikolic. And then Katai. Great pass. Picks up the right pass. And Nikolic does what he does pass inside the box. You give him opportunities. You can't give him too many. Because the ball's going to be in the back of the net. Yes, and it was. Nemanja Nikolic with the goal in the 62nd minute. So the uh, Chicago Fire had the lead by a score of 2-1. to one, But there was time to go. And when you go to Toronto, Toronto was dominating possession throughout the game. And then Jonathan Osorio scores in the 76th minute. The Fire hang on, though. They get the 2-2 draw with Toronto FC. It was a huge point on the road for the Chicago Fire. They now have one win, two losses, two draws. And they are back home 
at SeatGeek Stadium, formerly Toyota Park, uh, for a matchup with the Vancouver Whitecaps on Friday, a 7.30 start. One other guy I wanted to make sure I mentioned, two actually. David Osted made a save, which likely will be the MLS save of the week. Josie Altidore with a wide-open header uh, on a ball across the box, and Osted, who was going to, from the left post to the right post, he sees he's beat, he sticks out his left arm, knocks the ball away, and as it went upfield, Altidore looked at him and they kind of fist bumped. It's an amazing save. You get a chance to see it if you're a soccer fan, David Osted, a huge save, which turned out to be uh, a game saver for the Chicago Fire as they get the 2-2 draw. Another guy who most people don't know he's even on the Chicago Fire, but if you're an Indiana Hoosiers fan, you may know it. He grew up in Indiana. His name is Jeremiah Guchar, and he played at the left-back position last week for the Chicago Fire when they got the win at home. And um, now he played again this week. He was the one who had the tremendous ball to... C.J. Sapong at the end of the first half that set up the Chicago Fire's first goal. So nice to see a homegrown player in Jeremiah Gutjar actually helping out for the Chicago Fire. They needed someone to come in and help out at that left-back position. He is doing exactly that. Now, I wanted to make sure I touched on what everybody was talking about the last couple of days. Now, there's nothing official uh, but it's very close. Paul Tenorio from The Athletic writing a story that it appears the Chicago Fire trying to buy out their contract with SeatGeek Stadium. And if that happens, they may go back and play at Soldier Field. And also, the team may be rebranded, meaning a whole different name. Again, these are just reports out there, okay? My opinion I don't ever want to see the fire go back to Soldier Field. Soldier Field's a great place for the Chicago Bears, and many Bears fans may disagree with that. Uh, but there's a reason that in Major League Soccer, they build soccer-specific stadiums. And that's what Toyota Park was and still is. Uh, I understand people say it's a long drive. It's not a long drive. It's less than 15 miles from downtown Chicago to Toyota Park, okay? Get over yourself. Just because every, just you live in the city, everything can't be in the city. But that's what they want to do. So, if they move to Soldier Field, obviously, I'm a, a fire supporter. I'm going to support the fire. I'm not a fan of going to Soldier Field. You want to build another soccer-specific stadium? I'm all for it. That'd be great. Rebranding the team? No. It should always be the Chicago Fire. Just my opinion. The only one I can give to you. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to Jesse Rogers for jumping on in. Don't forget, Cap and Company tomorrow, along with Carmen and Yurko, Waddle and Sylvie as we get you ready for the NCAA championship. Thanks to Felix Reyes for all of his help. Thanks to listening for listening here on ESPN 1000.